This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Daily Tip on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Rise and shine, people. It's time to make some money, or at least we're going to do our best. That's right. It's the Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. I'm Chelsea Messenger. He's PJ Glasser filling in for Jinx today. And we've got loads to talk about, including Thursday Night Football, which was supposed to be a great game between two great teams. But the Grim Reaper of injuries reared his ugly head and it was kind of an anticlimactic, at least for Bengals fans, as Joe Burrow exited this game. And the rest was all Ravens. Later in the show, we'll do NFL playoff futures at 620. At 640, we will preview tonight's slate in the National Basketball Association. PJ, I feel for you, brother. Having your team play on a Thursday night and then having to wake up the next morning to fill in. So PJ, we appreciate that you woke up early for us this morning. Absolutely, Chelsea, great to be with you and uh and everybody else this morning. It, it was tough, you know, watching that game and then having to wake up this morning, but uh obviously the Andrews news is big. That injury is very key for the Ravens. He's their top target on offense for Lamar. And then the Bengals, obviously we're all waiting to see the extent of this Burrow injury and what happens there, but I, I just it was a big win for the Ravens, obviously. They're eight and three, create some separation in that AFC North. I was talking with uh Bill before the show. I'm interested to see what the AFC North odds, right? How they reopen. Obviously, the Burrow injury is gonna be a big factor, but you would think the Ravens are gonna be big favorites. The Steelers are still two and oh in that division. They have the Browns this week, the Bengals next week, and that's kind of how I'm viewing this now is the AFC North odds and does Pittsburgh almost become the second favorite behind Baltimore in that division? It's looking like the Steelers are going to have a season like last year's Vikings or last year's Giants to where they're going to have this great record, but they're not going to be a good team. Like what's their record? Six and three. And now they have the best of injury luck when it comes to they play the Browns without Deshaun Watson. They'll probably play the Bengals without Joe Burrow. They've got to be like the worst team with the best record, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they have to be like, they are obviously getting outgained in every game that they've played so far. It's insane. So yeah, we'll see what the odds are like. Obviously the Burrow injury news, we're not going to know until uh, we get his status, but 
The Steelers are in a good spot. I mean, the Bills have a tough schedule remaining. The Bengals have the toughest schedule remaining in football. Like I said, they've already beaten the Ravens. They've already beaten the Browns. So I don't think people really view Pittsburgh as a playoff team, but waking up this morning with the with the injuries and kind of where they stand, I think they have to feel pretty good about their chances. Yeah, the black and blue division for a reason. We are seeing all kinds of injuries in the AFC North, especially to starting quarterbacks, which is terrible luck for the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's get to how our bets did last night. And mine was very correlated to what we've been talking about. Every single stat that I mentioned and against the spread trend was based on Joe Burrow. This guy has been red hot against the number when getting more than three points. But if he doesn't play the whole game, I feel like that trend doesn't stay alive. I had the Bengals plus three and a half. That was a loser. Baltimore won at 34 to 20. Joe Burrow, man, how'd you not stay in the game for me? Seemed like really bad luck on my part. Anyways, Jenks had a winner last night as he had the Flames on the money line over the Canucks. That was a 5-2 win for Jenks. And the Donkster had a couple of plays last night, had a right state at Indiana, took Indiana minus nine and a half, and he lost by the hook. Uh <laughs> It's a tough one there uh, for the Donkster. There was a layup made with 16 seconds left remaining in the game. He also had Texas Southern at Virginia under 131. That was an easy win as the final score was 62-33. So for the week, I'm 4-1. Jinx is 5-1. And and the Donkster is 2-5. Woof. Which is also how you would describe the game for the Cincinnati Bengals last night. Baltimore wins it 34-20, easily covering the four-point spread. And the overhits for the first time in a while. Primetime unders have really been the play, but over 46 and a half was the play last night. Uh, an easy over there. As we mentioned, the injuries were huge in this one. Mark Andrews, the tight end for Baltimore, goes down early in this game. And then it was Joe Burrow who left this game after injuring his throwing wrist. You saw him on the sidelines wrenching or writhing in pain, trying to hold a ball and throw it. So after that, yeah. we kind of knew he wasn't coming back in this game. So for the rest of the game, it was Jake Browning. And I feel like throughout the NFL, there are a lot of backups that are fully capable. And when you see him enter a game, you don't feel that bad about your team. You say, okay, PJ Walker, he's fine. Uh, but when Jake Browning was shown on camera, I thought to myself, somebody who was on the Bengals, uh-oh, we are in for a big problem. Because here's the thing about the Bengals. I'm trying not to overreact too much to this news, but under Zach Taylor, their head coach, the Bengals without Joe Burrow are 4-19. and I'm going to say that again. Without Joe Burrow, this team has gone 4-19. and So if there is ever a precipitous drop in quarterbacks from starter to backup quarterback, it feels like Cincinnati is one of those massive massive drop-offs 100 percent. i mean burrow we know is is so much of that team you can just see early in the season really throughout burrow's career every off season he's kind of dealt with an injury and that's why the Bengals get off to slow starts every year it's because he takes him a little bit to get going and then he gets healthy and then cincinnati gets on a roll like we kind of see every year so now that he's hurt again big issues for the Bengals. obviously the schedule like we talked about chelsea i was with you i like the Bengals last night at plus four plus three and a half i still like our bet if burrow plays i think the Bengals win that game they were up 10-7 before he got hurt 
the the uh, the Bengals' rush defense in the first half was really really good. They only gave up 30 yards, and then the Ravens ran for 120 on them in the second half. It just you could see that injury just changed everything. It took the steam out of the Bengals, and uh, obviously now it's it's put them in a really tough spot for the rest of the season. I'm interested though. If it is Jake Browning next week for the Bengals against the Steelers at home, what do you think that spread is? Is it a pick 'em? You think the Bengals are minus one, minus one and a half? I don't think the Bengals are favored. Really? Maybe they are. Maybe they're minus one because the spread indicates, you know, you get a three point swing in your favor. So they're saying the Steelers are two points better than the Bengals. Which I don't. I think a lot will hinge on what we see from the Steelers this week. I think it will be very reactionary to the offense that we see from the Steelers this week, and it's just wildly yeah. inconsistent. But still, uh, you look at that line. Like, wouldn't that be a good um, comparison? Is looking at the Browns line, the Browns line against the Steelers. Even though I think the Browns defense is probably better than the Cincinnati Bengals. What's the line in that game? Steelers getting one. Uh, yeah, Steelers getting one. So it's a one-point game. The look-ahead line for Steelers-Bengals next week with the thought that Burrow was going to play was six. So I'm with you. I, I think Burrow is probably Burrow to Browning's probably like a six, six-and-a-half-point adjustment. So, yeah, maybe the Steelers are favored in that game. Like you said, it's going to be dependent probably on how they look on Sunday against Cleveland. But, I mean, how the Steelers, it's just ridiculous. Like, they get outgained in every game that they play. Now, here they go into a huge stretch where they play the Browns and Bengals back-to-back, and they're probably not going to have to play either starting quarterback. So it's just been one of those seasons for them. (laughs) We see that every once and again. Like I said, there will be years where a team gets every single break, but then it catches up to them in the postseason. Because Mm -hmm. if we see the Steelers in the postseason, is anybody going to be, like, super afraid of the Steelers? We know Mike Tomlin's a great head coach. We know their defense is amazing. But still, when you're going head-to-head, especially with all the good quarterbacks in the AFC, I'm not sure if I would think that their luck continues in the postseason. But let's talk about the Ravens. Because entering this game, the Ravens look like one of the premier contenders in the AFC. So what changes moving forward, or does anything change? I still think they're one of the best teams in football. I think we all overreacted a bit to the wins against Detroit and Seattle. Because even though those are good teams, Chelsea, at the end of the day, they're NFC teams. Lamar's 18-1 and against the NFC for a reason. And those teams that only see him every four years, it's just such a disadvantage. Because obviously, you can't really scout him in practice. Like, you can watch all the film, but until you get out there in person and play him, you know, you can't simulate that speed. So... They were two great wins by the Ravens, but I also think that they were overvalued because they were NFC teams. Now, they should have beaten the Browns. They were up 14 in the fourth quarter against a divisional opponent. They should have won that game. And then, you know, like I said, I think they probably lose last night if Burrow stays healthy. So I do think the Ravens are still one of the best teams in football. They scored 30 straight points in five straight games now after last night. They have one of the top defenses in the NFL. They have the greatest kicker of all time. So they check off offense, defense, and special teams. They kind of are good in all three phases. Obviously, the knock on them, though, will be can they stay healthy? Because that's really what's hurt them the last couple of years. They lost Andrews last night. Odell Beckham, 
you know, it looks like he's going to be okay, but he suffered a little bit of a shoulder injury. Lamar obviously went down during that game as well. So it's going to be important for them to stay healthy. Their defense hasn't been as great the last couple weeks, but they do have a bye week coming up after the Chargers next week. And I think having a bye this late in the season, especially for a team like the Ravens, who are kind of used to dealing with injuries towards the end of the year, that that could be a big thing for them as they head into the playoffs. Was there any other takeaway you saw in this game that you think warrants mentioning? Because I just keep dwelling on the Joe Burrow situation. It felt like such a bummer, and I felt like after that happened, I wasn't even interested in the game. But I will say one thing. I don't get the chance to watch many Ravens games because we don't get them here, obviously here in Nashville. The speed on some of these receivers and running backs, I don't know if it's because they're wearing black and it looks like their legs are moving faster. Am I wrong here? When Odell Beckham Jr. caught a pass, I didn't even know it was him. I didn't know he could still move like that. I'm not going to lie. You talk about like one of the biggest takeaways from the game yesterday, and you're right, it was Odell. That's the best game by far mm-hmm. he's played as a Raven. Like There were moments he looked like New York Giants Odell Beckham. Like He looked really good. You mentioned the speed. Zay Flowers, he had a touchdown called back, but everybody got a chance to see like his speed on that screen. Keaton Mitchell's one of the fastest running backs in football. Like He is really, really quick. So, yeah, the Ravens, you know, they have a lot of speed. And I think another takeaway, Chelsea, is... In years past, when Mark Andrews would have gotten hurt, it would have been a disaster, right? Because they really wouldn't have had many other playmakers that they could have leaned on. But now this version of the Ravens has at least some guys that they can go to. Andrews is obviously a massive loss. He's one of the best tight ends in football. He's Lamar's favorite target. But that was my takeaway is that it took him a little bit to adjust once he got injured. But once they adjusted, they uh, they started to play pretty good on offense. Yeah, it looks like they finally have some depth on the receiving core. Like you said, in years past, it felt like a very much one or two man show where it was mostly just Mark Andrews getting all of the targets. But moving forward, we can tell that they clearly have some talent in that receiving core. And I am very surprised what we are seeing from Odell Beckham Jr. On the opposite side, it's got to be tough sledding when you are a receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. Like, what do you think Jamar Chase is feeling right now? What do you think T. Higgins is feeling right now? I know T. Higgins didn't play in the game, but when we are talking about props and also like the fantasy impact, I know plenty of people have fantasy teams. For guys like Jamar Chase, do you think he's hanging his head now? What did he finish this game with? Like 12 receiving yards? Yeah. No, I absolutely think that they're hanging their head. And If this Burrow injury is serious, and if he's out for the year, Chelsea, we might have to start fading the Bengals here the next couple weeks because that's just like a dream crusher, right? You know if you don't have Burrow, you have no chance of making the playoffs. Obviously, you have no chance of winning the Super Bowl, going deep in January, anything like that. So it's going to be a ripple effect on the entire offense. I think Joe Mixon props are going to be a big thing. Obviously, with a young quarterback and not much NFL experience, they're going to lean on him a bit. Maybe you start looking at like Bengals players' receptions for their receivers and tight ends, not necessarily yards, but it's going to be tough. I mean, if he's down, I think that's uh, it's going to be a ripple effect on the whole team, and I think they start they might start going sideways pretty quick. And this is where your slow start really kills you. 
because if all things went according to plan for the rest of the season, the Bengals would be fine. I'm sure they would win enough games to go to the postseason. But now, when you have no room for error, because entering this game, what were they, five and four? Five and five, something like that. They needed just straight up wins. And now they don't have their starting quarterback. That's when you really start to press the panic button in Cincinnati. Up next for the Bengals, we've kind of referenced their upcoming schedule. They host Pittsburgh on uh, next Sunday. And then Baltimore goes to L.A. to play the Chargers next Sunday. So we'll see. But for Cincinnati, do you think they still make the playoffs? I don't. I don't. In the AFC, there's too much firepower, too many good teams. And with that loss to the Texans and this loss to the Ravens, I, I don't think they're going to make it. All right, next segment, we'll examine how this has a ripple effect on the rest of AFC futures when it comes to making the postseason. That's next on The Daily Tip, presented by BetMGM. The Daily Tip will be right back on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Welcome back to the Daily Tip on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Off and rolling on a Football Friday edition of the Daily Tip. I'm Chelsea Messenger, PJ Glasser, filling in for Jenks today. Up next, we'll talk the ripple effect that the Joe Burrow injury news and possibly the Deshaun Watson injury news has uh, on the futures market in the AFC because some interesting odd shifts when it comes to teams making the playoffs. A little later on the show, I talked about it being a football Friday. We will have a whole host of picks, including our favorite six picks in college football and our favorite six picks in the National Football League. Uh, PJ, speaking of the National Football, or the National Football League, I should say, all of the scuttlebutt last night was surrounding a sideline reporter in last night's mm. game. There was a podcast where Carissa Thompson of prime video said about 15 years ago, there were a few instances in which she couldn't get a head coach for a sideline report. So she simply made something up for her halftime hit. Of course, people reacted to this exactly how you thought they would react to this. A media member making up information and telling us it was true. It's definitely not a right thing to do. Like I didn't even go to journalism school and I can tell you off the top of my head, uh, you probably shouldn't be lying about information that you've gotten during a football game for the national audience. I don't know. It just wouldn't even cross my mind to make something up. Maybe it was like the producer in her ear saying, Hey, you gotta have something. And maybe somebody poked and prodded her for this. But what was your take on this as somebody who's in the media business? exactly your takeaway just really shocked and it was wild to see kind of all the people on twitter like all the sideline reporters and everybody kind of gang up on her almost and say like you know we as a whole don't do this this is just like somebody who didn't do their job correctly and obviously you know it, it they feel like it takes a hit on their profession as sideline reporters so yeah, their credibility that was uh it was yeah, it was surprising to see. And then 
on Twitter last night during the game. I don't know if you saw, but all the people like making jokes about it, like, you know, Krista Thompson is reporting that Joe Burrow now is out for the season or something like that. So that was kind of funny. But uh, yeah, that was that was surprising to see. And Chelsea, honestly, she was on the Amazon Prime broadcast last night, too. Right. Like I was surprised that she almost did the show. I thought there was a chance maybe they would pull her before the game. Yeah, it was an odd situation all around because, number one, why would you do this? It wouldn't even cross my mind to make something up. Number two, why would you tell people about this? Why would you so nonchalantly say, oh, yeah, I just made stuff up? Like, that wouldn't even cross my mind either to double down on a mistake you made and say, well, you know, if you don't have something, just make it up. And I don't want to harp on this too much because some people were reacting to this as if, You know, she had done war crimes. And I'm not saying that's the case because I think the bottom line for me is that it kind of shows that some of these sideline reports are not totally useful. Like, did you get that in this whole thing? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I will say, though, Kaylee Hartung really did a good job last night. And I think it was nice to see, like, the value of sideline reporting. And, you know, she was giving us constant updates on Mark Andrews, right? Before, like, Schefter tweeted anything, before Rappaport tweeted anything, she was checking in with coaches on the sideline and trainers and asking them. And obviously talked to Zach Taylor coming out of halftime about Burrow. So it's crazy. We had all this stuff going on with Carissa Thompson. And then we had a game with so many injuries to key players. And we were really relying on the sideline reporter and her information. So that was kind of nice to see. And uh, obviously, I mean, they're, they're a huge part of the game. They're on the sidelines. They're asking coaches and talking to them and getting information that we obviously can't get in the stands or watching at home. I think that's an excellent point because not every game maybe needs a sideline reporter, but that game especially. And you never know when these games are going to come up where injuries are such a massive part of the game story. And you're right. Kaylee Hartung did an excellent job of keeping us all informed and letting the audience members at home kind of know the situation from a field level perspective. I think my takeaway is just some of the halftime interviews that we see. Like the coach says, well, we got to make fewer mistakes. It's like, okay, we know. And it makes me think of there were dugout reports during the postseason of baseball, (laughs) which come on. These coaches are literally actively watching the game and they're trying to get an interview from them. So I think there is a line where sideline reporting can be so important and so helpful to the overall broadcast. But if you push it too far, it definitely feels superfluous. Uh, agreed. When the guy hits a home run, Chelsea, and they go into the dugout and they're asking him how it felt, how do you think it felt? I just hit a home run in the World Series. Like, it didn't suck, right? Like, that was a great feeling. That was a big play. So, I'm with you. Those baseball sideline reporting, especially, like, in playoff games, when a guy just hits a home run and you go into the dugout and you're, like, asking him about it's at bad, it's like... Come on. I mean, these guys are playing in the playoffs. These are like the games that they've waited their whole life for. This is what they train for. Like, you don't need to distract them during the game. So I'm with you. The baseball, like those interviews during the game, I just think are they're not necessary. Right. Just wait till after the game is over. It's not that hard of a concept because when you say like we know how he feels after hitting a home run, but part of journalism 
is not assuming things like, okay, well, that's how I think he feels, but we need to go to the source to make sure that this is the case. And I think that's why so many people had a problem with Carissa Thompson making up reports and putting words into head coach's mouth, because that's one of the main tenets of journalism is, oh, I don't know. Don't make things up. Uh, let's get to some of these playoff futures because uh, obviously some big quarterback injuries that could skew the market, especially in the AFC. So we're seeing some pretty big shifts for a couple of teams, uh, especially for Buffalo. Last week, the Bills were minus 115 to make the postseason after a big home loss to the Broncos. The Buffalo Bills now plus 180 to make the postseason, a seismic shift. But now that we have some injuries, some major injuries in the AFC, do you think these odds will shift again, PJ? They might, Chelsea, and I'm going back and forth on Buffalo because, see, this is the hardest thing to do, really, in sports. And when we're talking about sports betting is trying to separate how a team is playing currently and like in the back of your head knowing what a team is capable of right like when Cincinnati was getting off to that slow start at the beginning of the year a lot of people were saying the Bengals are done like this is who they are they're not going to figure it out and then obviously they did and before heading into that Texans game we all thought the Bengals were back to being the Bengals and obviously now Burrow has that injury but the Bills are so tough because it's been like five or six games now where the offense has not been good. Their defense has some key injuries to guys, and the schedule, Chelsea, is just brutal. They still have to go at Kansas City, at Philadelphia, at Miami. They have to play Dallas at home. The AFC, I've really never seen a conference like this. Like the amount of teams that are five and five, five and four, it's it's crazy. And they have a tough schedule. So as of today, I'm going to say no on Buffalo. I think they missed the playoffs. It is, you know, intriguing to take them at that plus money. But with the way they're playing and that schedule that they have, I just I can't get there with Buffalo. I don't think I can either. Like I could see the scenario in which it happens because you're right. Aren't the Buffalo Bills one of those teams that has a really high ceiling? And we will see it in little bits and pieces. There was a singular drive, I think, in their last game against the Broncos where I thought to myself, oh, my God, nobody can stop this offense. They were just so proficient down the field. And when Josh Allen is running the ball effectively, too, and then they just have those turnovers. But turnovers are one of one of those things that if you can curtail them, you can really put yourself back in some of these games. So even though the Bills have an absolute gauntlet of a schedule, like you mentioned, up next they have a really good defensive team in the Jets. If you're trying to figure out your offense, the Jets are usually not the cure. Then you go on the road to the Eagles, on the road to the Chiefs, you host the Cowboys, and then you go on the road to the Chargers. So a massive stretch for the Bills where we will really see what they're made of. If they can scratch off some wins against the best teams in the NFL, maybe we will see some life from Buffalo. But let's look at some of the rest of these teams. And uh, we'll see what the updated odds are on the Bengals. Uh, but what about the Texans? Last week, they were plus 240 to make the postseason. Now, merely plus 110. And I think my question moving forward is, is this the best bet on the Houston Texans? Because we have walked down the avenue of possibly putting money on C.J. Stroud to win the MVP. I don't think he wins it this year. But of the Texans' bets, do you think this is probably the safest one, or is this even one that you would make? 
You know what I like about the Texans is kind of the tiebreakers that they have right now, whether it's in the division or it's with wild card teams, right? Like that Bengals win last week could really loom large. Like that head-to-head win is a big deal. Uh, they still have to play Cleveland later this year. That could be a massive game. They already beat Pittsburgh, massive tiebreaker. Already beat the Jags in Jacksonville. They play them next week, so that is a huge game. I'm going to say yes on the Texans. As you know, and we'll get into this a little later in the show, don't love them this week, but I do like them moving forward. How can you not love Stroud? Like, I mean, he is putting together like the greatest rookie season we've ever seen from a quarterback. For a rookie QB to be in the MVP conversation this late in the season just doesn't happen. I think we all forget like just how bad and just how much of a train wreck the Texans have been the last couple of years, how bad they have been. And we've really all forgotten about that because of Stroud and his brilliance and how great he has been. So because of him, Chelsea, because of some of the tiebreakers they have against these teams that they're going to com- be competing with, I would take the Texans. I think they're going to make the playoffs. Well, if you like the Texans, what about the Texans to win the AFC South? That's plus 250. And they have a game against the Jaguars, not this weekend, but next weekend, which is massive in the mm-hmm. AFC because, or the AFC South, I should say, because right now it is the Jaguars who are sitting atop that division. But look at that division. I know the Jaguars are, you know, the cream of the crop, but they haven't looked that dominant this year. Then you have the Titans, who are absolutely terrible. You have the Colts, who are pretty terrible as well. So it feels like a two-horse race in the AFC South. So at plus 250, do you think that's worth a sprinkle? I actually don't, just because I think the Jags are going to win this week. I think the Texans are going to lose, and I think you're going to get a great price. And then if that happens... Again, if the Texans win next week at home against the Jags, they're going to have that tiebreaker only be one game back. And instead of getting a plus 250, if you wait until next week, you might get like a plus 400 or something like that. So I would wait on Houston just because I think this is a really tricky spot for them this week. I think the Jags are in a nice bounce back spot after getting blown out by San Francisco. But then I think Houston absolutely could win next week's game against Jacksonville. They've won like 11 of their last 12 against the Jags. They always play well against them. So I would hold off on that AFC South. If I'm making a bet today, it would be more so on the playoffs. And then maybe next week, I would look at those division odds. We're talking playoff odds here on the Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. I'm Chelsea Messenger. He is PJ Glasser. And PJ, I feel like you are one of the best on the network at seeing value and buying in at the right price, maybe selling high and buying low. Here's a candidate for you, the LA Chargers, to make the postseason. This week, they're plus 210. Last week, they were plus 130. So hope is waning for the LA Chargers. But look at their schedule. Some of their losses are to some of the best teams in football. Other losses, it's been the Chiefs, the Dolphins, the Cowboys, the Lions, that overtime loss to the Titans, And so, like, that's four of the best five teams in football, I'd say. Like, I'm not putting the Titans on that list. Uh, But they only have one loss this season by more than three points. Do you think there is any way that there is still some value left on believing in the L.A. Chargers? I I can't get there with the Chargers because... We just know the story with the Chargers, Chelsea. Like, again, they're going to play all these one-score games, and they're going to lose more than they're going to win. You mentioned the good teams that they've lost to. 
their schedule, they still got some good teams that they have to play. Now, what's great for them is that all those tough games are at home. They have Baltimore next week at home. They still have to play Denver at home, Buffalo at home, Kansas City at home. So they have some tough games, but they're all at SoFi. I just I can't get there with the Chargers again with the AFC being so jam-packed as it is. I trust way more other teams to come away with some of these close games than I do in the Chargers. So I, I do not think they're going to make it. Yeah, we haven't really talked about the uh, the NFC too much, but I don't know if it's less interesting or more interesting because the NFC seems to have not nearly as much parity. Like it feels yeah. like a two horse race at the top for me. It has to be the Eagles and the Niners. So I think maybe there's some value in the futures market when it comes to teams to make the playoffs, but it's not nearly as interesting as a conversation. When we get back, it's time to talk some hoops. It's an NBA Friday night tipping off, and we'll give you our best bets for today's action. Next on The Daily Tip, presented by BetMGM. The Daily Tip will be right back on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Welcome back to the Daily Tip on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. It's a football Friday here on the Daily Tip, and we promise we're going to get you a ton of picks coming up later in the show. If you stick around till next segment, we'll do our pick six when it comes to college. And then the segment after that, we've got our six favorite plays in the NFL. But it's time to talk a little basketball. I'm Chelsea Messenger. He's PJ Glasser filling in for Jenks today. And this is where PJ really shines. PJ, we know you love basketball, especially college hoops. So we will get to your favorite college basketball plays after a little NBA talk. But what are we, three weeks into the season? And we Mm. are already having massive drama across the league. And of course, it comes from Draymond Green, which I'm not surprised that he's the one starting the drama if you have been living under a rock Draymond Green the other night against the Minnesota Timberwolves had a chokehold on Rudy Gobert for about five or six seconds, and it did not look good. He has been suspended five games by the league for his actions. And I think the craziest part of this is seeing how harshly Steve Kerr has reacted to Draymond Green. Because usually you will see coaches, you know, they'll probably chew out players in the locker room, but when it comes to their front to the media, they will have their players' backs. It was not the case here with Steve Kerr as he talked to members of the media yesterday and said, quote, he took it too far. Draymond was wrong. He knows that. It's a bad look, and the five games are deserved. And he went on, and you could tell that he was very disappointed in the actions of Draymond Green. PJ, were you surprised by this response from Steve Kerr? A little bit, a little bit, because... Obviously, Draymond's been with that organization for a while. Steve Kerr's coached him for a while. I mean, we all know what Draymond's about. What makes him so valuable on that team is, you know, he's kind of the bruiser. He he looks out for the star players, and he is not afraid, obviously, as we know, to get a technical foul, to get suspended. So I was a little surprised by the comments from Steve Kerr. You know, when he kind of talks about Draymond like that, 
he probably crossed the line a little bit. Um, so that was surprising to see. But, I mean, no surprise in the way Draymond reacted at all. I mean, if somebody were to say there was a scuffle in the NBA tonight, Kelsa, my first thought would be, oh, Draymond Green was involved with somebody. You know, that's that's how it usually goes. Right. And, of course, last night, the Golden State Warriors dropping another game. They fall to 6-7 and seven after a home loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder, which I should have played that game. I kind of thought the line was a little trappy because OKC was laying like two and a half points. I was like, hmm, Golden State doesn't have Steph. They don't have Draymond, and yet they're only two and a half point home dogs here. Uh, I was shocked. So I am waving goodbye to the bet that I should have made because that was an easy winner. So let's look at the association tonight and see if we can find some winners in the card tonight. Let's start off in New Orleans, Pelicans and Nuggets squaring off. Uh, Denver laying four and a half, and they have been off to a pretty hot start for a team that you would think it doesn't have a ton of urgency coming off a championship, but it feels like a team that's very blue collar. They bring their lunch pail to work every day and it's business as usual for the Nuggets. Uh, total 224 and a half in this one. Normally the play is always taking the Nuggets at home, but this one's on the road. So PJ, do you see uh, a side here that you like or a total? Yeah, I'm with you, Chelsea. If this game was at home, you would lean Denver on the road, though. It's a little bit tougher. Pelicans snapped their five-game losing streak the other night with that win against Dallas. They've had a tough schedule so far. They've already played Denver once. They've played Dallas a couple times. They have the Kings coming up here for a couple games. So it's been a little tough stretch for the Pelicans to start the season. Obviously with them, you know, they're dealing with McCollum and he's been out. And Zion, you don't know which nights he's going to play. So they've really been relying on Brandon Ingram on a nightly basis. I'm going to pass on this game. It would probably be a lean to Denver just because, you know, if you're getting really under anything with two possessions with them it feels like a pretty good bet but nothing nothing strong for me in this game i would lean towards denver but we have seen this exact same line for three straight games and the nuggets haven't covered it even at home they didn't cover against the clippers who the clippers are terrible and they won that game 111 to 108 so clearly it was very close and they still won the game outright but three straight losses against the spread as four-and-a-half-point favorites. Maybe that trend ends tonight against a very banged-up uh, Pelicans team that's kind of had a rough start, uh, stretch to start the season. Next up, let's go to the 76ers and the Hawks. This one in Atlanta, where the home team, point-and-a-half favorites, total of 236 and a half. So immediately, when you see this line, you think to yourself, okay, somebody's probably not playing for the Sixers. And when I see a line like this, it makes me not really want to bet this one because it opened as Philly minus one, and it has moved where this line is now uh, the Hawks sitting as home uh, home favorites. So I think it is Joel Embiid. Questionable for this yeah. game. Do we think this game is worth betting on if that's the case? No, like you said, this is one of those games you're going to have to wait until close to game time. Maybe you get involved live in it, but you can't bet until you see the injury report. If anything, maybe you grab Philadelphia now at the plus one and a half, because obviously if MB does play, this line is going to flip and Philadelphia is probably going to be like a three, three and a half point favorite. 
the line is telling you that he's not going to play. And, you know, it's a tough spot for the Sixers, obviously, coming off that game against Boston. Now they go on the road and play Atlanta. I, I just I can't bet this kind of game. Obviously, Embiid is the reigning MVP, so important. So it's a pass for me. Maybe you take a shot with Philadelphia plus one and a half for not a lot of money, hoping that maybe Joel does play, and then you get a great number if he ends up playing at plus one and a half. I think these games are really tough, especially for the slot that we're on. We're a morning show. I know you're just filling in, but still, this is the problem that we have every single day here on the show, guessing who's playing in these NBA games. So, PJ, I don't know how much you bet on the NBA, but what time of day is the correct time to assume that everybody is playing? Because at some point, they have to announce people out, but sometimes it's right before the game. At what point in the day do you feel confident in betting on the NBA? Oh, it's a good question. Really no time of the day. I guess like 10, 15 minutes before would be the would be the right answer. It's a good question. I think it varies for for each game and what point in the season. Chelsea, we had pe- people earlier this year, we had players earlier this year, second game of the season, and there were there was already load management, you know? So sometimes you don't find out about this stuff until like starting lineups are announced. I think it varies for every game. This game, I would assume we're not going to find out about Embiid until pretty close to tip-off. So if you do want to get involved in this game, if you do want to bet a wager on the Hawks or the Sixers, and this is a 7 p.m. start, 7.30 start, I I would assume that you're not going to find out until pretty close to tip. Yeah, that's why it's tough for me to have any faith in betting on the NBA. We have a few more games on the slate, but I do want to get to your college basketball plays. Of these three games that you're seeing here on the rundown, Lakers, Blazers, Kings, Spurs, uh, Suns, Jazz, are any of them worth betting in your opinion? Or is there any kind of betting nugget that you think people should know before we move on to college hoops? Blazers, I actually kind of like tonight, plus the points at plus seven and a half. Lakers are one and five on the road this season. We were obviously just talking about what Philadelphia might do with Joel Embiid. This certainly could be a spot where maybe the Lakers rest some guys potentially. So just because they're not good on the road, this is a lot of points to a young Portland team. I could see them keeping it close. And then when the Kings team total over becomes available, I would probably take that against the Spurs. The Spurs have one of the worst defenses in the NBA, give up 124 points. Sacramento's on a roll right now. They've won four straight. So this seems like a pretty good spot. Obviously, we know what a solid offense the Kings have. They're starting to pick it up after a little bit of a slow start first couple weeks and going up against that San Antonio defense who gives up a ton of points to everybody. I think when that team total over becomes available, Chelsea, that's something I would get involved in as well. Yeah, Sacramento picking up right where they left off uh, during last year's regular season. One of the premier regular season teams out West. And so far, they have been uh, very good at home. Uh, Four and one. This game is on the road, though. Uh, You're right. I think people are buying into the Wimby craze, and it just hasn't really translated to San Antonio covering numbers. They are four and seven against the spread this season. So let's uh, transition and get to your college basketball plays because I'm very interested because I haven't really dipped my toe in the water of college basketball betting too much just yet. But let's start off in the East where we have Maryland getting six and a half against number 21 Villanova. This game is at Villanova. So PJ, what's the play or what's the angle here? 
Chelsea, you're getting me at a good time because I'm 19 and six on my show. Send it in Ooh. on the picks we're giving out. We went three and zero yesterday, so hopefully uh, we can keep that rolling. The two games that have stuck out to me the most right now, going through the board, and we've entered feast week, which is what they call it because obviously Thanksgiving is approaching. Right now, we're getting a ton of early season tournaments all over the country. Some of these tournaments are even outside of the country. We got some going on in the Bahamas, which starts we uh, next week. So. A lot of these lines aren't out yet um, for some of these games, but of the lines that are out, a couple games, Maryland plus six and a half against Villanova kind of stuck out to me. Terps, people thought maybe could compete in the Big Ten this year with Purdue and Michigan State potentially to win a Big Ten regular season title, and that still could happen. Obviously, we're three games into the season. Conference play still doesn't start for about a month and a half, but Maryland's lost two games already in non-conference play to UAB and Davidson. Both of those games were decided by three points or less, though. Maryland's just one of those teams that kind of plays everybody close, like they're really not built to blow teams out. They're a good defensive team. They like playing in the half court. And Villanova's kind of that same way as well. This game is at Villanova. Just feel like it's too many points. And we were talking about last segment in the NFL kind of spots where you can buy low on a team. I mean, you can't really buy low on Maryland. Uh, Buy any lower on Maryland than you can right now. Again, coming off two losses where they were favorites against mid-major teams, and now they go play Villanova, who's one of the big brands in college basketball. I think we get a great effort from the Terps tonight. I think they keep it close, so I like them, plus six and a half. And then my guys, Alabama, Chelsea, I like them as well. I would take that over against Mercer. They've scored 100 points in all three of their games so far this season. Ooh, sounds like PJ is going to be staying red hot on his college hoops picks. Speaking of picks, we're getting to our favorite college plays after the break here on The Daily Tip on a Football Friday. Stick with us. For more, listen to The Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9 Eastern on the BetQL Network, the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your podcasts.